Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. This is episode two of the Josh Marshall Podcast, and I've got my co-host, David Tainer, here. Hey, Josh. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good, man. How are I, you? I, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I, feel, I think we're getting the feel of this. Yeah, we yeah, had yeah. two episodes, but it was really kind of two and a half episodes because That's right. we, had that, we had that Dylan episode yep. that I thought went pretty well. Um, so thank you for, for joining us again. You know, one thing, I got to come back to this. You have to subscribe to the Josh Marshall podcast. And again, even if like, even if, even if you listen to this one and you decide, wow, that's terrible. It's, it is like, <laughs> we hope not. Yeah. I mean, that's not going to happen. I'm just, no. I'm talking about like a, like a theoretical possibility that I'm putting forward for like heuristic purposes. Even if that was the case, you should still subscribe because that allows us to build an audience for our, our new podcast and, and build momentum about it. We get rated higher on Google Play and iTunes and all that kind of stuff. So subscribe, give us a rating, and obviously give us five stars because what else would you possibly want to do? There are no other stars but five. There are no. There, in fact, I didn't want to mention this, but you are... You actually can only give on our podcast. You can only give five stars. Yeah. If, if you if you give three stars, I think actually like anything else you buy on iTunes forever <laughs> is more is more. Yeah. There's like a surcharge. It's funny how that works. But it's it's very funny anyways. how it works. So anyway, we we uh, we have a good show today. We're going to be talking to uh, Chris Hayes, who everybody knows who who Chris Hayes is. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to him because, I mean, A, I just, he's just a really interesting guy and he's um, someone I know and, and a friend and I go on his show sometimes. And he's just a really smart guy. But in addition to that, you know, Chris is a TV guy. You know, last, on the last episode we were talking about, like, you know, the, the archetypal TV guy is... The, wait, Rod, Rod, wait, what is it again? Ron Burgundy. Ron Burgundy. The Anchorman. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Rod Burgundy. Anyway, but Chris comes through a totally different channel to that place. He wasn't like one of these guys who, you know, the 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 sort of central casting, uh, I mean, good-looking guy, sure. but not, you know, not coming out of that TV news kind of thing that most TV people come through. He was a, a, a kind of a, 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 a left, left-wing magazine journalist, and he was the Washington editor of The Nation, and, and yet now he's Chris Hayes, and he's got this, um, you know, primetime show. So kind of like it, it doesn't quite... It's not the normal progression to how you get there. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about. We're also going to talk about, obviously, the Russia thing, because what else could we could we possibly talk about? And we're going to talk about Paul Manafort, because, you know, there's just, you know, I, I the first thing I wrote about Paul Manafort and this Russia thing is like a year and a, God, almost two years ago now. And yet, 
just in the last few days, last four or five days, it's occurred to me that the situation with Manafort may be much darker and more sinister than I at least allowed myself to believe. And uh, I saw I saw Chris tweeting about this a couple days ago. So I want to talk with him and kind of and kind of compare notes on the Manafort front because there's a lot of stuff that's come out that's just like really, really, really. Weird. I mean, every every week seems like a busy week in the in the Mueller investigation and the Russia probe, but it's been an especially busy couple weeks. So. Yeah, and and just like things coming together from like you know there there's the week when when Manafort and Gates were first indicted, and then there's when Flynn. Did his plead? So there's these kind of things, but the last week is—it's not any one thing. It's like a bunch of things coming together. So we're going to talk about that, and again, we're going to talk about uh, Chris Hayes. And basically, how did Chris Hayes become Chris Hayes? Because Chris Hayes didn't become Chris Hayes the way your 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 standard TV news person became who they are. And I'm really interested in that, and I'm also really interested in like. I think I mentioned this in the last episode. Those shows are really, really structured, and kind of like I want, I want to, I want to talk with him about that because maybe because I'm not that structured a person. I don't know. Anyway, so here's the thing. Here's something weird, David. Did you know when I was a little kid? Because I thought about this because I started thinking about TV news and just. The first time I thought about that and kind of all that kind of stuff. When I was a little kid, a plane crashed next door to my house. Oh, man, I did not know that. Yeah. So, and, and yeah, it's pretty weird, right? Yeah. That doesn't happen every day. I mean, I thank God, right? Yep. All right. Yep, yep. So, this is, it happened when I was eight years old. I'm sitting, I, I'm I'm laying in bed. It's 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 early in the morning before going to school. I'm laying in bed like half awake, kind of groggy, whatever. And the window, there's a window to my right. That's the window to outside. I'm in my bed, blah, 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 blah. Okay. Out of nowhere, I hear this roaring, droning sound like, boom, and a plane, a twin-engine Cessna, so the kind of plane that usually carries like 10 people, crashed directly into the apartment next to mine. Man. And uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it, 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 you can only imagine what that sounds like. It is a horrific sound. Was your house shaking? Like, was there sort of like, could you feel anything you know, in, the, I don't even, in the ground? Or? You know, it's one of these things where, obviously this is now like more than 40 years ago. Um, and it was one of these things where I was only kind of half awake Mm. And what I, and and even in even right after it happened, there was this thing where I thought I remembered out of the corner of my eye, seeing the plane, you know, in On a, its way a to split the, second, yeah. kind of see it, you know, kind of flying past the window. And just to give you a sense, this is this is Southern California in the seventies, and there are these like you know, kind of prefab tracked apartments that are like four units. They're, they're two stories, just, you know, kind of endless lower middle class suburbia place. And the other apartment is maybe 15 feet away from my window. And I, I, I dart up, I look out the window, 
and the entire apartment next the adjacent apartment is engulfed in flames and black smoke it's this like unbelievable thing and right there in the midst of these literally in the midst of you know the plane has disappeared into this building it's it's I don't know what's happened to it. It's disintegrated. And right in the midst of that are these two people, a couple in their 20s, a man and a woman. I don't know, naked, but, you know, they're in their boxer shorts and right, she's in a nightgown. Right, they've just been sleeping, eyes, Yeah, and they're standing up. So, so they're, like, laying in bed like I was, and suddenly a plane crashes into their room, and they're alive, and they're kind of – there's this brief moment where they are like, what's happening? Right. And these people survived. And they a moment later, they sort of jumped down. It's only one story up. So you can just kind of jump and be basically OK. And a second later, um, my my mom rushes in to see that I'm OK because I'm closest to it. And you asked about the you know, was it shaking? What I do remember is immediately we had those kind of old fashioned kind of plastic shades and they were melted. That's what I wow. remember. Yeah. Um, and and for years afterwards, I remember I I find little pieces of glass from 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 when this happened. Anyway, so my mom comes in. She, I'm closest to it, so she sees what you know wants to see that I'm okay. My dad comes in. My dad had just been out on the porch, and the plane had actually come right at him. This plane's out there in fog early in the morning. The plane had come right at him and swerved at the, I mean, so like maybe 40 feet away from him. And he's sitting there like, okay, this plane is about to fly right into me and I'm about to die. It swerves, crashes into the other place. So they all come in and get me. Um, My sister was like a year old at the time or maybe even just a few months old. We rush out. There's all the sirens and everything you could imagine and that kind of thing. And it was actually on the national news. It was like a pretty big deal. There were there were five or six people killed in the plane. Um, remarkably, no one was killed in, or even seriously injured in the apartment. Wow. But so here's, here's – now at this point you're thinking like, Josh, this is a wild story, but what the hell does this have to do with anything? <laughs> yeah. Good question, good question. So here's what it has to do with. Um, as I said, this was a reason is a big story in the LA area at the time, and it even made the national news. And the reporter who got sent out from one of the local affiliates was a very young Linda Douglas. Now, Linda Douglas, you probably know, she was a big star reporter on at CBS and ABC for years and years and years. Um, you know, the top of the profession nationally. But this is when I think she was maybe a few months into her first TV gig as, you know, as that young person who gets sent to the disaster. Yeah, ma- making her bones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With a little, you know, with the microphone up and up in front of them. And uh, so years later, years, years later, uh, she, uh, you know, Linda, I guess, worked in television news for 30 years or however long it was. And then in 2008, she left ABC, 90% sure it was ABC, not CBS at the time. She left ABC and went to work for Barack Obama when he was running for president. And she was a communications person, advi- you know, kind of strategic advisor on the campaign. And later she went and worked in the administration, whatever. Okay, so 2008, at some point, 
I like meet her just in the process of doing the work I do as a reporter and running TPM. And I mentioned to her, like, I was a little kid. I was, I was right next to that thing. And she remembered it as kind of like her first high-stakes news story, right? This isn't yeah. like kind of, you know, your run-of-the-mill story. It's a, it's a, it's a small sca- It's a small version of a very terrible right. disaster. So, um, and so it got me thinking, like, you know, Linda came up through that, you know, that kind of traditional channel of broadcast journalism and, uh, you know, uh, went on to be at the very pinnacle of that profession. And and since, since she worked for Obama, I think Linda, I think she worked at the Atlantic and now Bloomberg in like corporate communications and stuff like that. So it got me thinking, and it got me think, and that made me think about with Chris, like you know, a totally different. Even for most people who do, um, you know, kind of cable news shows and stuff like that, right. a very different background. Yeah. So one of the things we want to talk about is like, how did Chris Hayes become Chris Hayes? Because it's not the Ron Burgundy model. <laughs> That's right. Definitely. Even though I will say, when you're on the show with him. He's got the suits and everything that you're sitting there like there's a little Ron. If you squint and yeah, looks a little Yeah, a little bit. And he's got, you know, he's very fancy when he's on when he's on when he's on TV. So we're gonna talk about that. And uh but, but okay, before we talk about anything, we, we have to so we, Trump just did this thing, like you know, we're recording this on Monday, the day before it's released, and Trump just had this this, I guess, a speech to the governors. That's right. Yeah, let me cut you guys yeah. up a little bit. So Trump was at the White House today at a meeting of the nation's governors. So, you know, people from Kentucky and Florida, obviously, Rick Scott was there. Uh, and he gets up in front of the in front of the crowd and it's kind of riffing, you know, welcoming the, you know, the guests to the White House. And he has this kind of like perfect Trumpian moment. He's talking about the response to the shooting, he's thanking Rick Scott for his leadership. He's he's saying it was disgusting the way the school resource officer who reportedly failed to respond to the shooting uh, didn't behaved, go into the, that he was waited a, outside the school. Yeah, that he yeah. was a coward. And Trump launches into this kind of rift that uh, kind of sums him up in a way. He says, you know, I really believe if it were me, I would rush in there, even if I didn't have a gun. And it just kind of struck me as it's, it's like classic trump yeah it's classic trump because first of all you shouldn't rush in without a gun yeah exactly like that's stupid right um it, that's just completely ridiculous and and i think we know trump well enough he's not rushing in there period <laughs> right that's he's right. gonna send like michael cohen in there or <laughs> exactly. like maybe eric at most right but this he's is not donald trump in. you know who famously deferred the draft of vietnam because of a bone spur you know he's he's ran from conflict basically. Yes, he's he 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 runs from conflict and certainly runs from danger, physical danger. There's no question about that. But it's it's classic Trump because like, I mean, I wouldn't run in. I mean, that's just ridiculous yeah, to no, run in without a yeah, gun. Yeah, few of Even us. Even if would I had us. a gun, right? We know, you know, none of us knows what we are going to do in a moment like that. But what makes it such a classic Trump thing is that like no one's expecting him to go in without a gun. <laughs> yeah. It's just a, some ridiculous. Um, just just some ridiculous statement that he comes up with that is that is not required for anything. It's it's sort of like the way that a lot of politicians lie when they did something wrong or did something embarrassing. They don't want anybody to find out, so they lie, right? 
lying's wrong, but we can understand the logic of that. But Trump just just lies about things constantly that not that have nothing to do with anything. It just it just comes naturally. And I think that 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 comment about you know what is he talking about? He's going to run in without a gun and do what? I mean, it's yeah. just totally stupid. Um, I think that's the narcissism because like yeah. no one's expecting that. No one's even expect it's just it's just needless, but if you live in your own kind of fantasy world of your own like omnipotence, like I think he does. Yeah. Um a weird combination of like omnipotence and and insecurity, you just come up with shit like that. Yeah, for me it kind of harkened back to his line at the convention that I alone can fix it that you know he's used to running you know a, a real estate company and of which he's you know the chief executive but he's also the patriarch of the family company right, right? right. so he's he's the boss he's the man and he's going to figure it out basically yeah he has this like kind of superman complex or whatever okay so we're we're going to talk to chris hayes and one thing i want to mention is his book uh, a colony and a nation which is about policing and democracy and race. The paperback is coming out in March. So keep an eye out for that. And that's, kind of, you know, this goes to the point, David, about what, what I was just saying before, is that, you know, Chris is now like a TV guy, right, doing his nightly show. And those things are like, you know, the show is an hour long, but you're working on it all through the day. Yeah. And like every, every few years, Chris comes out with like a book. Yeah, this is se- it, his second book. Yeah, that is not like some kind of like, you know, quick write book that a lot of media, you know, but some kind of like deep work of like political analysis and sociology. So he's clearly, clearly not willing to um, let go of what was sort of his original uh, professional, you know, what was his original uh, gig, which was which was writing writing about these issues because he was basically long form magazine. I don't know if he'd written any books. Anyway, let's talk to Chris Hayes. Hello. Hello. So this is, this is. We're in a beautiful, empty, uh, what looks like an apartment someone just moved out of. Kind of. Except, oh, except well, for come on. Stu- yeah, come on. I mean, we're, are we not in like, we are, well, we have like. this is gorgeous. It's yeah, just we have empty, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, we are in a totally decked out podcast studio. That's true. That is within a larger um, kind of room that is not really fully occupied yet. But I mean, do you not see the pillars with TPM red? It's gorgeous. Yeah, come yeah, on, come yeah. on, a lot come of potential on. here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you're a big media guy, <laughs> but I didn't like, you know, I didn't know you're gonna bust my chops like this. No, it's, I like it. It's it this feels is a, like a. Here's a joke Chris Hayes will get. It's not Studio Nine C, but it's nice Studio. Well, David's bringing TPM. in some of his like MSNBC insider yeah, cred, there you whatever go. that meant. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so million things I want to talk with you about. Um, but the main thing is, we're, and we were just talking about this bef- before we started, you are a big media guy. You're on TV every <laughs> night when I, when I. Look at you. You're yeah, yeah big... <laughs> well, but you are, you are, you are. You're a big media guy. When I, you know, I come on your show every week or two for a, a quick segment and like, you know, you're there in a really nice suit. It's true. The hair's done. Also the true. whole The whole bit. And I, what I have always been uh, fascinated about is that you come to this from a through a very different channel. You know, you basically started out in 
left-wing small magazine opinion journalism. Correct. And, you know, we were, we were uh, David and I, I guess in the last episode when we were talking about you coming on, you know, TV, like to me, like the archetypal TV guys like Ron Burgundy. Right, yeah. And like I my 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 the way that I think of this is um, I remember being sometimes I'll go on the road to cover some big news event and I remember I was in San Bernardino after the mass shooting there which was horrible uh, and covering the aftermath of those are always, always horrible but because of where the site was located which was in that. <clears throat> like government municipal office yep. building. Yep. There was like one, I think it was a holiday inn or whatever it was, like a days inn, some some sort of motel that everyone from the media was staying in and that was local news networks, national news networks, everyone. And I remember texting my wife, you know, you go down to the lobby and like you look around and you're like, you know who the on-air talent is? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's me. No, totally. Because <laughs> you know, like people, you know, people look a certain way. They're, like, they're no, very it's handsome like the, it's or they're like very the Ron beautiful Burgundy or they're whatever thing. they are. They, yeah. they have this kind of thing of like, yes, oh yeah, you're clearly you stand in front of a camera. And, yeah. And then there's me, you know, there in my hoodie and my, you know, getting my <laughs> coffee. But, but, and... but okay, but like when you are on the, you know, you, you they've clearly got you decked out with like a, a yes. huge wardrobe of fancy suits. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the okay. So let's hear the story. How did you become Chris Hayes? Um, I mean, you want to go back to being you, you were yeah, like my current Washington editor of the Nation. I was Washington editor of the Nation was just sort of that's the kind of turning point I yeah. would say. So before that, I was a sort of lefty journalist, but I was also more I was I was actually less an opinion writer and more a kind of feature magazine writer back when that was a thing. Yep. So I wrote. I wrote long feature pieces for the Chicago Reader, mm -hmm. and then I started writing for In These Times, and most of my output there, too, was like long reported features. Um, where, where, are you, where did you grow up? In the Bronx. Okay, so, so what, but you went to Wesleyan for college. No, I went to Brown, like you did. I mean, you went really? there for grad school, yeah. I thought you went to Wesleyan. No, I'm a, I'm a Brown grad. I, you may be thinking, I think the reason that may be in your head is that I know Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah, maybe that's Wesleyan it. Grad, and we, he and I went to high school together. Oh, so I went to, I, okay. I grew up in the Bronx. My dad was a community organizer. My mom oh, was an arts administrator in a nonprofit. Yeah, and lefty uh, people. Yeah, although, you know, in a way that's not, um, in a way that's sort of different than like doctrinally lefty, if that makes right. sense. Yeah, like yeah, they're yeah, just yeah, sort yeah. of like, the kind of salt of the earth frontline yeah, 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 people. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, not, not necessarily stuff. ideological, yes, but exactly. people in like social services exactly and blah, right, blah, yeah. blah, blah. So, what's the Chicago thing? How, where's Chicago come into the mix? So, my dad is from Chicago, and I was raised, um, I was raised a kind of Chicago sports fan, and then okay. my wife is from Chicago. We met freshman year at Brown. Ah, okay. And uh, when we graduated Brown together in 2001, we moved to Chicago. We lived there for six years. Ah, and that was okay. kind of where, I mean, it was, it was a great thing to do to move to Chicago because. It was so cheap compared to New York or San Francisco or Boston that I was able to kind of parlay a kind of catch as catch can income situation yeah, where yeah. I would like, tutor and I would you know, write some someone. Dude, would, I did tutoring out yeah. of college. That's a thing. That's yeah. a, that is a way you can really you can do uh, it. Yeah. And so I would do that, and we, you know, we had this very cheap apartment, and then I would start to freelance, and yeah. so I was able to really kind of almost kind of teach myself with the help of a lot of really good editors how to be a journalist yep, yep. during that period of time. So I, I started writing. I got hired full-time at, at In These Times because basically Bill Moyers Foundation gave them a grant to hire me as a staff writer. Okay. Because he to read hire, something to, I liked. Oh, to, to hire you, not just hire a me, staff writer. Oh, hire okay. me because he liked All something right. I, I, right. I liked. I, I, and I remember that I, that first, this was probably what Bill, year was it? Bill is such a 
I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this knows about Bill Moyers from his show and the website and, and the various documentaries he did over the years. Bill is a hugely important person in, in just involved in so many different people's careers yep. in in arranging n- not like his personal money but like finding f- you know his Channeling work with foundations to people. That, yeah yeah you know and that is um completely uh, egoless yeah and just in behind the yeah. scenes and not a thing anyway so 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 he was so yeah. he read something that I did and then was in conversation with the editor there and the publisher there is a good friend of mine still to this day, Tracy Vance Lyke, who's a great person. Um, and um, anyway, I, I got this staff job for a year, and then from there I went to the nation. And then my wife got the, the, the sort of big turning point was that in 2007, um, my wife, who was clerking on the appeals court for Richard Posner uh, in Illinois, who's a, a, a you know sort of a top appellate clerkship, yep. he's one of the most famous jurists in America. Um, was offered a clerkship with John Paul Stevens on the Supreme Court. So we moved to fancy. Washington. Yeah, very. Fancy. All right. <laughs> she's fancy, dude. All right. Um, All right. <laughs> she's, uh, so she, we moved to D.C. She clerked for Stevens, and I had this other kind of amazing bit of stroke of luck, which is that when we moved to D.C. for her job, I was just writing as a feature writer for the magazine, and then David Korn, who'd been the Washington editor of the Nation for Mother Jones. decades, yeah. went there yeah. just yeah. randomly after about right. two months after I got there. And I ended up getting that job, and I think because I got that job, that was what allowed me to start appearing on cable news because, you know, like random r- magazine writer doesn't really work for a lower third. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, lower third being the industry talk for thing. like how we yeah, identify yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Washington of the Nation's like, oh, sure, yeah. Okay, so what year is this? That's in 2007. That, oh, so you're, you're Washington editor there in 2007. Yeah. Uh, so I'm 20, 28 years old. My wife is clerking. I start writing for them. And then it's, it's, it's in 2008, which obviously is that incredible campaign year and also the year of the financial crisis and a mm-hmm. crazy New yep. Year's year, um, that I start appearing as a guest on Countdown. Right. And... Um, because we were just talking about before you got here, that's sort of like MSNBC's relationship with progressive talk, blah, 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 blah. It, it, it starts, I think, sort of a bit by happenstance with Oberman. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And then he kind of in the late Bush era and he, and he just has this, you know, Oberman sort of, you know, kind of over the top, very direct kind of thing. And... It, I think it's through Matt, you know, it's it's through that sort of slipstream that Maddow, yep. who's doing her thing over to Air America, comes into that, you know, a tiny bit of, of TPM trivia lost opportunity. Uh, years ago, uh, a, a guy named a- Andrew Golis uh, worked, well. yeah, worked here at TPM. He's now, I think, general manager of Vox. Yep. Um, so th- when we first came into the office, we now work in at some you know he was kind of say to me oh there's this person we should hire this person blah 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 blah. all right now as a small company it's always like yeah that's awesome dude find me the salary and we'll talk about that so that's never going to happen but the two people he mentioned that way were you and like you know at the time 
you know, he's this young guy who who took over for Corn as right. as as Washington editor of the Nation and Maddow. <laughs> and at the time, this is the thing. At the time, it was it was before both of your ascents to superstardom that it was at least a plausible right. concept. Anyway, well, Andrew, right, so, Andrew so is he, a brilliant, brilliant. He totally is. I mean, totally he, is. Probably the most. I think kind of because the kind of people that do the kind of job that Andrew yep. does yep. are not. Like front facing, yeah, they're always behind the scenes. But probably the most brilliant, or one of the most brilliant people for understanding like how absolutely. actually digital media works. Absolutely, um, absolutely, yeah, he's... absolutely. So okay, so you come on, you're uh, now you're 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 so doing. I start, open. I start appearing as a guest, yeah. and I think one of the things that happens there is that I, um, I have better perspective on it now because I make these evaluations myself, people yeah. I have on my show. Because um, you're the big talent now. Well, right. I mean, yeah. I host a show, right? So I have people on, and, and um, we try people out who you know maybe haven't done a lot of TV before. And I think it was a good fit because I talk, I'm i a talker. I mm-hmm. just have always been a talker. Yep. I have a little bit of a performance background. I always did high school and then college theater. I was, a, I was always an actor and a performer. So I feel, you know, I don't get... So you didn't come <clears throat> to this w- without a public presentation performance yeah. sort of background. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I, like I, I didn't I've I didn't know I've always been that. someone who likes public speaking, who likes to perform, um, and I think that that helped me a lot. I think also, you know, the hardest thing about, I mean, TV, particularly when you first start appearing on TV, and I, you can attest to this firsthand, we're, we're lucky enough when you come in because you're in New York, you sit at the desk and you and I can actually talk yep. like human beings, yep. Yep. but there's this just profoundly alienating experience of looking into a camera in a small room it's that, it's very hard, very and, unnatural, and, this, and a sound delay, like a few seconds Sometimes between what delay. you hear yeah. and what you're saying. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, that you know, that's the reason that we, one of the reasons that we set this studio up, is that like I'm sure we'll do some guests where we do it by phone, but it's it's just not the same because you don't, you really. It's very hard to have a real conversation because so much is caught up in body language and stuff like that. See, right now yeah. I'm, I'm pointing at you and nodding, and what you realize when you take away the cues, the informal yeah, cues yeah, of conversation, it's... it's very hard. And so it, and a lot of people – I mean, the thing I would always say to people when I'm when sort of coaching them to talk um, you know, is in a weird way, uh, everyone who – is lucky enough not to have a specific disability that disallows it, can talk. Yeah. Like, if, if you know, we starting at, you know, around three or four <laughs> or five, you learn how to do it, and you can do it. You know, you could go to any high school in America and talk to a kid about something they're passionate about and get an incredible model. Yeah, totally, I totally, mean, <laughs> totally. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, at some level, the um, what's weird about the genre and the performance in this specific context is that it's a thing that should be easy, but for a variety of reasons actually is sort of a little harder than it looks. Yep. yep. And people are kind of have a natural aptitude for it or don't people who don't have a natural aptitude can kind of train themselves to yeah, be Yeah, you can at you it. can be okay at it. You can train yourself to be okay at it. So here so here's something that I wanted to talk about. So right now, kind of like, you know, I'm gonna about to ask something. I wasn't even sure I was gonna mm-hmm. ask a minute ago. But 
on every show, your show and every show, and for very understandable reasons, they are highly, highly structured. Yep. So, like, and just for, for our listeners, so someone like me comes on. I'm not there as, like, you know, a big newsmaker. I'm there just to kind of shoot the shit a little for, you know, about the right. n- news of the day. And basically how that'll work is it's like, all right, you're going to go, you know, you, Chris, are going to say something for 30 seconds. You're going to ask a question to Josh. Josh is going to answer. Then you're going to go to the other person. And so it's not like a thing where I'm going to go, no, 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 wait a second. Let's let's do another question, Chris, because it, <laughs> it's highly – and, and it makes sense because it's TV. Yes. But what is that – tell me about that. It's just – it's so it, structured. <clears throat> it is um... – a really hard thing. So one way to think about it is, one way to think about my job is that we're managing the flow of of um, events through time. So, and in some ways, that's the way I think about my job. So when I wake up in the morning, <clears throat> everything that happens in my day, including right now as I'm sitting here, like I know around what time it is right now because I know the benchmarks that I have to hit in my day to hit my show at eight. Yep. And at eight o'clock, no matter what's happened today, like a green light's going to come on and a live satellite feed is going to put the show out to several million people. Yeah. And so. And you can't say, oh, wait a second. Be like, let's start at 8.06 today. (laughs) Which you can in everything else in your life. Right, right, right. Like, you know, it's a weird thing about this. this, There's a very specific. It's funny you ask that question because one of the things that is the most interesting and distinct or surprising about the experience of doing the show is the experience of time and the way that you think about time. Because. You're constantly every day. You're rushing towards that endpoint. It produces in you this kind of there's a kind of almost subconscious metronome um, that goes through your day, and then in the show, you're really feeling it. So you know, and you and I have a pretty good. I've gotten good at having like what my internal minute is, which is that like I know I know about what a minute is. Yep, I know about yep. what thirty seconds is. And what happens over time is, and people, people, uh, you always read athletes explaining this, and I never understood it until this. Athletes will talk about the game slowing down. That when you're a rookie in the NBA, it's like, whoa, everything's going super right, fast. Right, right, and right. I feel like, and when I first started the primetime show, particularly, it felt like that. Everything seemed super fast. I constantly felt rushed. And one of the hardest things to do in TV, and what makes good TV performers really good, Oprah is a great example of this. You cannot picture oprah being rushed right oprah was hitting all the same time marks like that show now it wasn't live it was taped so it's a little different they could do a little more tweaking you don't have to hit your marks quite as well but you know that show is got as produced as you are talking about my show you can't even conceive of what is oprah being rushed look like because her ability to sort of be common in the moment while also being cognizant of the time that's really the key to be to be kind of thinking on your feet and just to have it's not i mean it is poise but it's not poise exactly it is just just calmness in the moment but also like complete concentration yeah but also totally calm that's right and the and calmness is key because one of the ironies of um television is that McLuhan said it was a cool medium. And I think that's, I don't quite necessarily agree with that. I think there's actually a broader space for different registers of performance in TV than there was back in the day. But there's a certain, there's a thing your body does when you perform. Uh, The fight or flight modes get engaged. And all sorts of 
biophysical things happen, right? Your heart rate goes up. You can start to sweat. Mm -hmm. That good, really good and great television performers obtain a level of kind of almost sort of physiological mastery of those processes so that uh, when they are on TV, even though... At some level, they have the uh, the sort of acuity and attention of being yep. on stage. What they're doing, sort of physiologically, is at they this remain point. calm in yeah. that moment. Yeah. yeah, even though you have no totally, you know, it's Carson. Fun- I mean, think about Carson, right? I mean, Carson and Letterman are are great examples because there's this kind of just ease and yeah. laid back, and you don't, you know, there's no effort. You don't yep. when you think of both of those particularly late career Letterman. It's funny, when you look at early career Letterman, you can see all the effort. Right, right, he's, right, right. He's right. yet to regulate that part of himself. Yep, yep. Um, no, it's, 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 I, I, I totally know what you're talking about. You know, I, it's funny, when I was like a little kid, or like a, a, a teenager, or like in college, I was like deathly afraid of speaking in public. Really? Oh, totally. I don't know, I don't know why exactly. I just, you know, it's one of these things where you kind of like start thinking about, what if my what if my mouth gets dry and then I and then I get can't, in your head? Yeah, and then you kind of psych yourself out and whatever. Um, and then at a certain point, I don't know. It just I, I started doing it, and you know, just I, I have none of that. But I but I you, you do it, it. It's true. You need to be sort of electric to the moment, but not like a live. You know, That's you right. need to be calming to the audience. And you also need to be channeling all that energy. Exactly. That's the key, exactly. Right? So exactly. even my, you know, this is something I'm in the I'm in the I I'm I'm working my way up a learning curve where I'm much better than I was 5 years ago, but now how long how long does the does the primetime show go back? Uh, when did you start the primetime show? anniversary is April 1st. Right. And 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 the the weekend show was two years. Two, we ran about two years. Right, ran about two years. Year. Okay, okay. Yeah. So so yeah. So over the course of that, I've um, there are things I do technically performance wise that um, you know through repetition yep. and focus, yep. I've gotten better at. I'm curious if you can talk about like you know a couple of Wednesdays ago when the when the school shooting happened. I mean that was what in the afternoon sometime. Your show goes on eight. Obviously, like the whole rundown gets blown up. Tell me like. What you're talking about, sort of remaining calm, you know, not rushing. But how do you how do you channel that when breaking news is happening and sort of all hell breaks loose? So that the the Parkland shooting was a that's a specific kind of show, and it's a show that we've done that that night. We ended up not taking any breaks, so that was that was an hour straight, no breaks, no scripts, um, and that's a very specific level of engagement. And in some ways, it's so that teleprompter thing that you that you are reading from sometimes it's blank. That, that's okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, sometimes they will throw in. So basically, what you're trying to do in those situations is just book a lot of guests, people with different perspectives yep. that you can just keep going to people, and it's really important when you know you're going into those sorts of shows, which you don't always. I remember I was on air when that. Um, I was on air on the July 14th of, I guess it must have been 2015, which was that crazy uh, truck attack in France. Oh, yeah. It happened yeah. right when we were going on air. Mm. So that's even crazier, right? Because you're just, we took it live the whole time. You're in the moment. With the same guests? Even though they were guests for about something else? Or how do you, how do you, no, you get we went, we went, we got some the news people, people on the remote. We had, right, there right, was right. a, there was an NBC news person, I think, who was actually vacationing there, or happened to be on the ground. We got, you know, a lot of, right. you could do a lot of yep. phoners. Yes. Yep. This. yep. So in those situations, 
on the in the Parkland situation where you do have a few hours, you know, it's just really important that you commit the known facts to memory really well. Um, yeah, no, totally, totally, what, totally. What's you know, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, which is in Parkland, Florida, which is in Broward County. Yeah, which is how in many South students? Florida. There, you know, how many students are injured? How many are dead? the name of the shooter, the age of the shooter, where the shooter has been taken to, when he was taken into custody, what was the weapon he had, what, you know, because you just want to be able to have the facility with that. But really what you're just doing is listening and asking questions that occur to you as things you want to know in real time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, There's also, I think, a certain, you know, unfortunately it is now the case that I have covered um, a lot of what, we say, you know, mass casualty events, um, whether they are, you know, the Bataclan attack in Paris, which I was at, the attack in Brussels, which I was at, the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Las Vegas, San Bernardino, um, that you, there's also, you know, there's, there's a certain kind of weird, um, there's a certain tonal register you want to be in for for news like that for obvious reasons it's sort of respectful um there's also a kind of emotional effect of it which is it's upsetting um particularly when you travel to the places actually it it really i find charleston's another one charleston was really rough um there's just a bite it takes out of you you know it's funny we we have we have this ongoing issue at tpm where we have tvs that run we we have cable news running in the in the newsroom constantly and it's always and and that's because we want people to be sort of suffused in the news and kind of something happens you kind of see it out of the corner of your eye and it's always been sort of a um it's always been a bit of a you know, a bit of a, a, a pull, push and pull about people like, dude, I'm trying to work. Why do we have these TVs right, on? Right, right. <clears throat> um, and after the Parkland shooting, like, it kind of hit a – people kind of like, we can't have the TVs on during these things. It's, t- it's, it's too much, right? Because we're – now, obviously, we're all covering the news, so it's not like we're running from it. But hearing – just hearing it constantly is just – upsetting it just takes an emotional t- i mean it's you know look we're here in new york totally safe these people are, are are experiencing horror but yeah it affects people even people who are pretty hardened to dealing with yeah news. and everyone i mean everyone hates it um everyone i think because i think you know in a good way i think people still it still bites it's still people still feel it um you know part of the problem to sort of go back to this question about, you know, when you have an hour, um, the worst, the cable news is at its worst when there is more time to fill than information to fill it. Yep. Um, And it's in some ways an intractable genre problem that you can't get out of. It's a problem less and less... I think we have less and less of in the Trump era. No, we do. No, yeah. absolutely. In fact, <laughs> yeah. in fact, uh, it, it, that is not a problem in the Trump era, more right, or less. Right, but right. you, you know, you. I'm trying to think. Oh, you know what it was? It was I was I did a full hour on air um, when the bombing at the Ariana Grande concert oh, yeah, in London, yep, uh, yep. Manchester, right? Yep, Manchester yep. happened, and that again happened. Probably it happened. Two, 12 minutes before he went on air, I want to say, or or news broke. It probably right, happened about, right. know, there's a little bit of a latency. Yep. And that's one of the situations where it's just, what we knew 
could be fit in a tweet yeah. or two. Yeah. But yeah. you're not going to leave that story. Yeah. No, totally. Totally. And, and you're kind of, yeah. I mean, really. And it's hard not to speculate. Well, and... what I end up, my approach to this is always like the 10 10 wins approach, which is just, just repeat. Yep. Because i rather repeat than speculate. Yep. And, and so what you do is you basically say, look, at this point, we're doing something similar to what 1010 wins, which is people were listening is a, a New York City, you know, tra- traffic and weather yep. together station that on the eights, right. you know, always has traffic and weather. It's like people are seeing this. They're maybe turning on their television set. It's a different viewing experience in terms of the flow of folks. Yep. And I would rather repeat what we know um, than try to speculate out past it. But it's a, it, those are... It's just t- it's tough. It's a tough, almost kind of intractable problem to solve. So let me ask you this, and this is let's shift gears a bit here because this is um, <clears throat> going back to the total um, suffusion of news of the of the Trump era. I in the last few days, just with uh, you know these new indictments of Manipo- uh, Manafort and Paul Manafort and Rick Gates, uh, Gates cooperating. Um, I went back and read that Frank Four article in The Atlantic, um, and all of it, <clears throat> it just sort of gelled for me at a certain point. And I saw you tweeting about this same basic thing. It kind of occurred, I mean, we've all sort of suspected he might have been involved in some bad stuff in, mm-hmm. this, in this Russia stuff. But I've also kind of thought like, okay, maybe just a little at the margins. Maybe he's just kind of his financial crimes. And the fact that when when uh, the, uh, Mueller first hit him with all these indictments, serious crimes, lots of time, big deal, blah, 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 but nothing about the 2016 election. Right. So and and a lot of sort of critics of the probe or sort of minimalists about the probe kind of say, you know, well— this is probably what it is, right? He's just found this crime, he's going through it, whatever. All right. A bunch of things come together that just make me think like, maybe this is much, much worse than we were willing to believe. I, I think the, if you think about the like the bell curve of possible distributions of what happened, um, I think it keeps moving. The center of it keeps moving kind of to the right Right. So like towards the extremely bad stuff. Yeah. 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 And I think I was a minimalist. I was a minimalist for a long time. I mean, my my general framework for this is there's no need for anything explicit because all the ores are moving in the same direction. Exactly. exactly. So it further it only complicates things like Vladimir Putin and and the Russian intelligence operation and Putin's allies at a certain point, they want to mess up. American politics and mess with us, and then at a certain point, that sort of shifts into wanting to get Donald Trump elected. Because right. it's the best way to do it. Donald Trump <laughs> wants to get Donald Trump elected. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's not you don't have a coordination problem, yeah, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so everyone's exactly. moving the same direction. It's not like people have to be like, "Hey, I want," you know. But the more information that comes out, um, the more that I have come to contemplate what you're saying, which is, what is the tale of this distribution? Yeah. Like, and particularly and, with him, with Paul Manafort, with Paul Manafort, and he's, and and with the president, and and one thing that's been helpful for me in thinking through this is this this great Slate podcast on Watergate called Slow Burn. Yep, which was sort of a great generational undertaking because I think what 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 was sort of brilliant about it is Leon Nafak, who did it, like you know he's my age basically, didn't experience Watergate firsthand. 
it, it's all kind of new to him. Yeah. And yeah. going back and immersing yourself all the time, and, and one of the things that, that one of the themes of it is, it takes a really long time for people to recognize what's in front of their faces, even though within days, a lot of the most incriminating yep. information is already there. We well, say like people tied to the White House. <laughs> Broke yeah. into the party headquarters. <laughs> no, I have always. This it's is like, a, well, what are you guys I, waiting for? You know, I always thought during the Clinton years, I remember always thinking, like, you know, because there's all these kind of some real scandals, but a lot of pseudo scandals. And I always remember thinking about, wow, just, I mean, how is it that, like, on day one, people weren't like, holy fuck, yeah. this is a huge <laughs> yes. scandal. These guys, they're tied to the Clearly White House. Clearly are tied yeah, to the White yeah, House. Yeah. And yet it took years, literally years. But what I, the reason I bring that up is because I do think we may end up in a situation where we all say the same thing about Paul Manafort. Which, which is we were all there. We yeah, watched this yeah, guy yeah. become campaign chairman. We knew, I knew, like in some vague sense, like he does some scutchy stuff in Eastern Europe and with kind of Kremlin back parties in Ukraine. <laughs> but that seems like maybe, I guess, sort of thematically related, but not operationally related. And and now it's like, was he just put there on behalf of Kremlin interests? I mean, the, the, the way that I said it on Twitter is the most recent indictment Hell by Mueller. Hell of a coincidence. Yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the most recent indictment by Mueller charges Paul Manafort with running a scheme to covertly influence American politics on behalf of Kremlin allies. He happens to become the manager of a campaign at the time that the Russians are running a giant covert scream to covertly influence American politics on behalf of Kremlin allies. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe he was there for a reason. Well, here, you know, the, exactly. A hell of a coincidence. If those two things happen to, you know, two unrelated things come together. What really got me is, like, I have been for, like, almost a year now thinking through this thing about how Tom Barrick brings Manafort into Trump's world. And it's all very weird, kind of like, oh, Manafort just kind of thought I'd get back into the game. You know, this totally. kind of Gotta like, get back in. Yeah, That's it kind of yeah. doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but, like, what's Barrick's role in this? And and the thing that I was never quite clear on is thinking, like, okay, Manafort's a rich guy. He's been, like, a sleazeball forever, and he's made tons of money. So, you know, why... You know why would he do this? Why you know why would he why would he go to work for Trump at all? Especially considering he's a criminal, and that's a good way to get you know a good way to get in trouble. But why you know if he did something very bad, why would he have done it? And one of the things that was kind of out there, but Frank Ford's piece in the Atlantic only really brought it together, is that you know in there he's talking to his daughters about maybe killing himself. His entire financial wherewithal is tied up with this guy Yanukovych in Ukraine. He is driven from power, which means that his whole meal ticket disappears almost entirely. Um, he is caught by his family cheating on his wife, so his wife is threatening to leave him. So he's like in like you know total collapse. And and you know when you talk about when people get forced or convinced to do things in intelligence operations by the mafia all this kind of stuff it's when people are desperate they are desperate about their personal lives about their finances so you have this picture of paul manafort at some point really late in 2015 he's down at some kind of rehab like inpatient place down in arizona just because his life is falling apart and like a month and a half later 
he's meeting with Tom Barrick about, hey, I want to get in the game, and I don't want to be paid, even though I owe <laughs> no. this Russian this Russian oligarch- $16 million. Yeah, or, tw- or $19 yeah. Yeah. million. Yeah. Dollars. And this is like a, a, a guy really close to Putin who is not allowed to come to the United States because he's he has so list. many mafia ties. Yeah. It's not even it, – it's that list too. But even before right, that, right, right, right. he's so tied to organized crime. So suddenly it just kind of seems like right. it just comes together in my head. And again, it just – maybe I, I must not have been really paying attention No, before. but I, I, I was the same way. The other, the other layer I would add to this is, which, which doesn't – mean anything for the likelihood of the possibility of collusion, but just in terms of like deepening this, it's not just that he's working for the Party of Regions and, and Yanukovych in Ukraine and it all falls apart. It's that the event that, that he is working on behalf of these interests precisely because it is essentially a Kremlin proxy that a large percentage of Ukrainians hate and want to reject yep. and ultimately do through a a, a sort of Nonviolent, mostly nonviolent. I mean, there were some clashes uh, uh, um, with police and so forth. Revolution that happens in Ukraine that is kind of the precipitating incident of the Kremlin freaking out. It's what precipitates the invasion of Crimea and the uh, green men without flags yep. on their uniforms, yep. and then the heaviest round of sanctions, the most stringent sanctions that are on Russia that they want to see removed. Which is the deliverable that the whole collusion thing is about. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. those those sanctions, it's like the same event that the same event that's scarring to Vladimir Putin, and it is genuinely scarring to him. And you could you could sort of, I think, immerse yourself in a kind of view from Moscow in which there's good reason to be freaked oh, yeah. from out their, from their from Ukraine. their from his point of view they see they don't see Ukraine as a real country. They Not see only that it they as, also see it I think I think Vladimir Putin. I think if you hooked him up to a lie detector test and you said was the Maiden primarily a US covert intelligence op directed against you? He would say yes and he would pass the lie detector test. Yeah. Like I think he 100% thinks that was an op that was and, successfully and, and there pulled is, off against him. There is enough stuff at the margins with, like, you know, USAID and all this kind of stuff. And Victoria with, Newland goes yeah, to the main yeah, end. She yeah, lays yeah, flowers yeah, down. Yeah, and so, yeah, yeah. so this 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 crisis event, like the kind of cataclysmic event that sort of rec- that sort of pushes us onto this track of history in which Russia gets further alienated from the EU, from the U.S. It does this incredibly insane, provocative thing that, in some ways, we've all just kind of been okay with, which is a, 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 a major territorial land incursion and occupation on European soil in front of the whole world while yeah. the world watches yeah. of Crimea, which they have successfully just like yoinked. Yeah, and it's done. It's it's no, no one is thinking no. now that that is ever going to be that, reversed. That it's the same. It's like the same. It's the same no, it trauma. All comes together. It's the it same trauma for together. Manafort as it is for Putin. Ultimately, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. that sort of gets us. No, to No, there, there is a there is a there is a novelistic coherence to this yeah, that is entirely unrealistic. Yeah. No, totally. And the, and the thing is with Manafort is that you know this George Papadopoulos guy is just this doofus, right? Who is you know sort of like Trump, surprisingly successful in, in despite right. being a doofus. Um, and who knows what Carter Page's deal is? But there's all and like Don Jr. with the, I mean Don Jr. is a moron. So so you know you can't even. It's not a matter of that I excuse him, but who knows what he thinks is right. He's just right. it's not his world, whatever. But Paul Manafort has been working in politics for forty years. He has worked abroad 
in places where, even aside from the criminality, you are frequently crossing paths yes. with U.S. intelligence, with foreign intelligence services. People who do that kind of work often get debriefed by U.S. intelligence when they come back. It's just kind of part of yep. how it works. Hey, can you come in? Just, you know, kind of talk, yep. see what you've seen, blah, 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 blah. So when it comes to how intelligence services operate, this dude is a pro. Nothing is, it's not like Don Jr. like, oh, I thought it was, I thought they were just trying to help dad. You know, he is a sophisticated guy. So, yeah, and here, okay, a a couple days ago, I'm talking, I I wanted to run this past a, someone who kind of knows this space. So I know this person who is a former public corruption prosecutor. And in, in this period of sort of realization that we're talking about, it occurs to me like, okay, they have they, they have Manafort dead to rights on all these crimes that there's there's it's just you pay taxes or you didn't pay taxes, dude. Like where's the receipt? You didn't pay taxes. So all these things where he's looking at at spending the rest of his life plus in prison on charges that it's gonna be really, really hard for him to beat. Especially now where his accomplice decides to testify. So basically, there's no way he's going to beat these charges. Yeah, he's toast. He's toast, unless he gets pardoned, yep. which must be a key, part of his, uh, a key part of his plan. But the key is, if, if Mueller just kind of like, look, I'm investigating Russian collusion, but I found this guy who's a total crook, and I needed to indict him and send him to prison. If that's all his business is with Paul Manafort, there's nothing really left to do. It's kind of done. He doesn't need to do anything else. And yet... He is clearly, he's not stopping. He is clearly upping, upping, upping the pressure. And so I asked this, this, this uh, 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 former prosecutor, is my surmise right that the, he, he, he's not done? Sending him to jail for the rest of his life is, is not all he is up to. And basically, you know, this person validated what I guess is, is pretty obvious. He thinks... Manafort still has something that is of great value to him, and it is very hard to speculate what that would be right. absent some pretty serious collusion-type stuff. Right? Maybe there is, but—and and it could—it's possible, if you want to kind of move towards the minimalist side, it's possible that Mueller just wants to find out, and you right. squeeze him right. And, right. And, right. until you know. but. The whole that whole picture just seems different to me now. Uh, I totally agree with that. I also think that the other the other big and obvious shoe that hasn't dropped um, is the most the most serious, the most obvious, the most consequential criminal activity that was undertaken in the election that we all saw, which was the hacking of the DNC. Yeah. And and he hasn't even gotten to that yet. Appears nowhere in the indictments. Um, we know that crime happened. We all watched it take place. Different sort of computer forensics outfits and, and American intelligence have come to conclusions, some of which have been made public, about roughly who did it. It seems that if Mueller has the window into the Internet Research Agency that he does, he probably has some window. That into was totally a tell, like when they were like, oh, here's her email. Like, oh. <laughs> like, or the one where, the, where the, 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 the email from the staffer to family being like, yeah. sorry, I didn't get back to you. Yeah, I was exactly. covering up for the FBI. It's like, whoa, well, how'd you have that email? <laughs> no, totally. It's, it, it's almost, you get in, re, and I almost thought that that was one of the messages of that indictment, which is like, we have full view. 
We see 100%. everything. And and the reason that I think that that is, to me, the, the linchpin, when people talk about collusion, I think there's been a good discourse about like how weird and hazy and soft and undefined that is. To me, the, 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 you know, the thing that it most seems plausible as a theory for what collusion in some smoking gun sense would look like is there was a criminal intrusion into these computers, and then the ill-gotten gains of that were disseminated in furtherance of the ultimate conspiracy of the people that broke into it, which was to damage a candidate. To the extent that you participate in that conspiracy, you are part of a criminal conspiracy. And that, to me, remains the outstanding question. The, 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 you know, the big question, the sort of, when people talk about, like, the smoking gun tape with Nixon, it's like, to me, it's, why did they publish the first tranche of Podesta emails with the most incriminating email at the top, which is the notes of the Wall Street speeches, right. hours after the Access Hollywood tape hits. Yeah. Julian Assange is running a is publishing a site where he wants traffic. Why on a Friday afternoon, in the shadow of the biggest story of the campaign so far, do you publish? From a news perspective, it makes no sense. Just hold it till Monday and yeah. publish on Monday. Yeah. But if you're running Oppo where it's like we'll release what we have now yeah makes a lot more sense oh it's, it's, <laughs> that, it's that to yeah. me is always like to get really granular about like what do we mean what we mean is was there essentially a criminal conspiracy to disseminate the illegally purloined emails that we know were illegally purloined and i don't think there's any question that it's dropped to, to blunt that story, the question is 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 whether the people on the Russian side and Assange just didn't need to be told. Like, dude, he needs some help right now. Totally, we yes. need to. Right. Yes, and, 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 or is moving yeah. in the same direction. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly, right. exactly. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I uh, and and th- this is there's something I, I need to talk to uh, uh, David and Tierney and Sam about this. But one of the things that they have noticed in their reporting is like the Papadopoulos like narrative i'm pretty sure i'm remembering this right it goes up to the date of the email release the first one the one in july and stops Hmm. so and then it kind of picks up when he's like you know lies to the fbi six months later or whatever there are hints clues that suggest that they are sort of talking around you know that period of the main game um, obviously, you know, at a certain point, you, 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 you know, you can always imagine there's a little more there than, um, uh, than, than, than there is, but I do, I'm moving in the maximalist direction, even I, though I'm I am always, too. And I, again, I, I tend I, to be a skeptic. Yeah. I mean, I'm a skeptic and I think that, you know, I think the skepticism, you know, partly I think that partly the, I, I've been thinking about this, about what, what's your sort of cognitive posture towards conspiracy right because that that really is the 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 root here it's like we are talking about conspiracy i mean in in a a sort of technical legal sense yeah yeah, exactly in in a broader theoretical sense right we're talking about a variety of disparate actors covertly acting in concert to achieve an aim and i think that i i think partly you know post 9-11 and and sort of having to deal with truthers at every event for about a year yeah you know, I think there's a, a way in which, you know, you learn, like, there's all sorts of these sort of cognitive deficiencies and theoretical deficiencies with positing conspiracies as a thing that you use as a sort of causal explanation for the world. And then that said, 
you know, Watergate is the kind of counterexample right. where, like, there just was a conspiracy, right. a big right. conspiracy, a, a really shockingly widespread and brazen conspiracy where they were thinking of bombing the Brookings Institution and breaking into Daniel Ellsberg's therapist's office to get his, I mean, bonkers they stuff. Were, they were, they, they talked about uh, assassinating Jack Anderson. Yes, exactly. Yeah, just totally. Jack Anderson was a famous a newspaper yeah. columnist at, at the time. So, like, totally crazy shit. And some of that shit they did. And, you know, so 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 I think it's partly it's just been it, it's sort of evaluating each new piece of evidence in the context of this sort of these priors that aren't just about these people, but actually p- sort of meta priors yep. about how you draw causal conclusions about the world and what's the most likely scenario. And I think that I have sort of moved from a kind of min- minimalist to maximalist tendency again hopefully the hope here right is that we just find out like and and in some weird way it's like i don't actually have any eggs in the basket like if if it if it's definitively the case that this was a bunch of coincidences and they weren't actually we like, should know i would like to know yeah, that like yeah, that's an yeah. important thing to know and there's reasons that i um i find myself uh opposed to many of the president's pronouncements and policies independent of anything having to do right. with that it's not like well, you know what? You are a great—you know, it, th- these are distinct things. So ultimately, so much of what drives me at this point is just the basic curiosity of, like, what happened? What uh, happened? And I think, that, you know, this is this is a related point, but I have always thought—and this is why I think there should—and maybe there will eventually be a commission about this—that how long Paul Manafort spends in prison is—you know, it, it's just you commit crimes, you go to prison, whatever. But, like— that doesn't really matter that much. It doesn't really matter. The punishment for any of these things is plays a role, but it's not really the thing. What the country needs is to understand what, what happened. happened. And and if it is, you know, much less than we think, then we need to know that. That's and we, in, in some ways it's as as or if not more exactly, important exactly, to actually exactly. remove the taint of suspicion from people that didn't do anything actually. Um, you know, aggressively wrong. The one thing I will say, which I quoted you the other day, and this is something a lot of other people said, of like, stop at what we know now, right? What is very clear, they knew what the Russians were doing, and they did what they did anyway. And there's something deeply messed up about that. And what They, they never and, call yeah. the FBI. They never do anything to blow the whistle as they're going about this thing and they're saying, Russia, if you're listening, hack your emails and maybe we should get rid of NATO and yada, yada. And they're all, there is, you know, we're all watching this. We, everyone's seeing what's happening. They have more occasion than anyone else to know it because they received an email that said part of the Russian government's efforts to help get your father elected. And they were also, and he was personally briefed by uh, the FBI and the top intelligence officials. Starting in the summer. Yeah, starting in the summer. This is happening. And with a lot of details that none of us knew then. A lot of these details we're finding out now, they knew then. So So I think they acted indefensibly. (laughs) Even if we know what, you know, even if nothing else comes out. But there's a big difference between sort of acting indefensibly and irresponsibly and actually engaging in... You know, right, criminal and, conspiracy. Yeah, and I and I think and where where they come up really close to each other though is that you know the Russian government is doing this, and you're still saying like, Flynn, why don't you go meet with this guy, see what he's thinking, see what he's talking about. Right. You which know, Jared, which, on which you, side of line? Yeah, is that? like right. or Jared, yeah. like you need money. That, yeah. Why do you take? Why do you meet with that banker guy <laughs> who might be able to save your family if he you know cut you guys a loan for you know yeah. that's like. 
Yeah, that's that's close. You know, we, we got to finish up, but but um, I think the key is that the world is messier than we like to think, and causation is messier than yep. than 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 we like to think. And I think that um, one of the things that a certain kind of education gives you is is supposed to give you is a realization of that. And that things, the, the messiness of life is not usually explained by some deep, dark secret that explains everything. And this is, to a certain extent, one of the cultural differences between people who have had different kinds of education, mm-hmm. who, who um, think that way or don't think that way. One of the things I think about is, you know, the whole thing about crime and lead, mm-hmm. right? Unicausal explanation right. That seems to explain everything, right. right? And I have always, I've always kind of thought like, you know, I am trained as an educated person and and as an academic. As a, right. it's never that way. Right. It's never right. the unicausal, monocausal right. Right. explanation. And yet, over time, I was like, you know, it actually may be this, <laughs> right? right? Exactly. And 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 there's something about this with the Russia thing that I think, at a certain level, you just don't want to believe. That someone who did this is now running the country. Not just that it happened. This person's still that running. It worked. The, yeah, and it worked. Um, and that's kind of where we are. And I think you see you see different people um, migrating over time in different ways, trying to reconcile those two things. Anyway, Chris Hayes, this is awesome. Thank this you for great. coming by our amazing, beautiful, amazing, immaculately furnished, pod- yes, podcasting <laughs> studio. Probably I should say like you know tune in. To the Chris Hayes, but I'm not even sure there's a point. Everybody knows about your show. Everybody watches Although it. Although they may not know that we have a podcast now, too, which took was years in the Competition. making. Competition. You, know, uh, you know what? <laughs> there's plenty of, everyone's got plenty of commuting you know, time e- for everyone. E- even, though, even though we're only on episode two of the Josh Marshall podcast, <laughs> I, I've been I've, I've started looking at, the, at our ranking in news and politics, and like, I see you're ahead of us, and that's not going to last. You know, you have special advantages on that NBC, uh, MSNBC racket. I know. But this is like the podcast universe. Yeah. Anyway, Chris Hayes, thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. for coming by. And um, you will all see Chris uh, every night on his show, and that is amazing. So, uh, David, uh, not bad for the second episode of the Josh Marshall podcast. Yeah, I think we're hitting, we're hitting yeah, our stride a little bit. We're hitting our stride. Yeah. We get a little, we're getting that repartee <laughs> thing going. We've got Chris. That's even, see, that's the thing is when I listen to podcasts and you think about, you know, the guests kind of laughing in the background oh, yeah. there. That's kind of very real, whole, kind of verite. Yeah, yeah, that whole, there's a, there's a kind of oral, um, oh, this sounds so pretentious. There's an oral mise en scène okay. yes. to uh, like the, the stern, slash like morning zoo. I mean morning zoo is sort of yeah. like the stern thing of like it's got this kind of like roominess to it and like right. there's sometimes voices you don't know but people are laughing. Like I love that. Yeah, no, it has like, it has a, the verity yeah. thing and, and even though even though we had a we had a script for this entire episode, even with you laughing right there, it seems very real. <laughs> All right. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. See you next week. All right, thanks so much for listening to episode two of the Josh Marshall Podcast. I'm going to say it one more time. Please subscribe. Please uh, rate us uh, on Google Play or on iTunes. It really helps a lot for us getting momentum for this show going, getting us show up prominently in the lists on all the different platforms. So subscribe, rate us. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. See you next time.
Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 